Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the CES Energy Solutions Corp. third quarter 2021 results conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Tony Alicino, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for attending today's call. I'd like to note that in our commentary today, there will be forward-looking financial information and that our actual results may differ materially from the expected results due to various risk factors and assumptions. These risk factors and assumptions are summarized in our third quarter MDNA and press release dated November 11, 2021, and in our annual information form dated March 11, 2021. In addition, certain financial measures that we will refer to today are not recognized under current general accepted accounting policies, and for a description and definition of these, please see our third quarter MDNA. At this time, I'd like to turn the call over to Ken Zinger, our president and CEO. Thank you, Tony. On today's call, I will provide a brief summary on our financial results released yesterday, followed by our divisional updates for Canada and the U.S., along with a brief update on the international businesses we have entered into recently. I will then pass the call over to Tony to provide a detailed financial update and an update on capital allocation. We will take question and answers, and then we will wrap up the call. I'm going to begin this call today by highlighting the fact that our leader at CES and my business partner of 22 years, Tom Simons, has decided to retire, as announced last month. I want to thank Tom sincerely on behalf of our employees, our board, our shareholders, and myself. It is with a heavy heart that I wish Tom all the best for, the, for his future. Tom and I began working together at a small private company 22 years ago. It has been a great ride with a great friend and a great man. Tom guided CES through 15 years of mostly great times, but also with a steady hand and outlook through some very challenging times. He has helped place our company in the current fifth financially stable position we find ourselves in today. Tom leaves CES very well positioned in perhaps the most optimistic time that the industry has seen in seven years. I will truly miss Tom in my business life, but we will forever be friends. On behalf of the CES team and our shareholders, I want to once again thank Tom and wish him all the best for the future. I'm honored to have the support of the board, the executive management team, and our employees to have the opportunity to lead our great company. I wanted to take this opportunity to clearly lay out my priorities with regard to corporate strategy. I will continue to run our decentralized business model by making major decisions with the executive management team. This is what Tom and I have always done since going public. Richard Baxter, Vern Disney, Tony Alicino, and I will continue to meet regularly to come to consensus on major decisions before I recommend them to the board for approval. 
As always, our main priority will be to grow our main business lines faster than our competitors at all times and we'll keep a keen eye on margin targets. We will continue to invest in ourselves through opportunities that meet our minimum IRR and provide strategic advantage. We will continue to look for opportunities to expand internationally. We will continue to evaluate M&A opportunities as they are identified, and we will continue to evaluate the potential diversification of our platform into other chemical markets. Next, I will commence with the results summary by noting that for the first time in year, years, I see optimism and excitement in the oil field space in North America and worldwide. At CES, we share that optimism in the macro outlook for our industry amid a very constructive oil and gas supply demand balance. Q3 2021 was a great quarter for CES. Revenue of 314 million, EBITDA of 42 million, and EBITDA margin of 13.4% were all at their highest levels since pre-pandemic. All three of these key metrics were back in the fairway of our recent pre-pandemic levels. Since the low point of the pandemic in Q2 of 2020, we have seen a step, been on a steady path of recovery with revenue growing each quarter sequentially. I'm extremely proud of the, the executive management team and of our employees for cautiously guiding the company through the uncertainty of 2020 and for positioning us for success in the much stronger market we find ourselves in now. Our outlook for the rest of 2021 and 2022 is very optimistic as we anticipate a market which will allow us to yield significant free cash flow. In order to meet demand created by this enthusiasm, we have strategically invested in inventory and commitments across our business so we can supply our customers in a very dynamic supply chain period. Our best-in-class supply chain team recognized the signs of upcoming issues early in Q1 of this year. Together, we developed a strategy to minimize our exposure to the risks of key raw material shortages and higher product costs. This has been a monumental challenge, which we have met with a monumental effort. Security of supply for our customers on both sides of the border has been the focal point of the strategy. We continue to work with our customers to emphasize the importance of accurate forecasting in all parts of the business. Gone are the days of 7-Eleven shopping models where you could simply call and place large orders and expect immediate delivery. Lead times and planning are critical to supply in the current environment. We move quickly to opportunistically buy lower priced inventory through Q2 and Q3. And in Canada, we did so aggressively to ensure we could get through the winter drilling season. I want to thank our customers and our marketing team for supporting CES by generally working with us to offset cost increases on both product and labor, largely in real time. We have done this by focusing specifically on affected products and rates, not through across the board price increases. Although these have been difficult conversations for all involved and not all conversations have yielded the ideal outcome, it has allowed CES to largely offset overall margin erosion, supply issues and adequately staff our business. With that said, I'll now move on to summarize Q3 performance in Canada. Canadian drilling fluids made another strong contribution for CES in Q3. Our customers in Canada are experiencing a strong market and CES has been there to support them. As always, we are doing what it takes in a demanding market in order to support our customers and contribute to their successes. In light of a tight labor market, we have managed to hire sufficient staff to support the increased activity, although this has been a significant challenge as well. Today, we have 67 jobs underway in Canada. At PureChem, our Canadian production chemical business, we had another solid quarter in Q3, 
both financially and operationally. Each month in the quarter was at or very near all-time record revenue levels. Similar to the Drilling Fluids Group, margin erosion and security of supply have been the main focus area. We are working with our customers to ensure we have accurate forecasts of anticipated volumes so that we can guarantee them delivery of the products and services which are critical to their businesses. We continue to see nice contributions from our frac chemical and stimulation groups. Although there is there has been significant cost escalation in both of these business lines, and now more than ever, it is critical to have inventory on the ground to support them. We view these business lines as low capex, low manpower, and sustainable, although obviously variable depending on commodity pricing. These lines both fit nicely over our existing infrastructure and supply chain and are flexible to scale up or down as required. The other three Canadian business lines, including Cialco, Clear, and Equal, all continue to contribute to the financial and strategic success of the two primary business lines in Canada. Now I'll move on to the U.S. AES, our U.S. drilling fluids group, once again delivered a very, very strong quarter, as well as a solid market share. It has been a long road back from the depths of the April 2020 oil storage crisis. Richard Baxter, who manages our U.S. Drilling Fluids Group, and his committed team have proven through another crisis that they have the ability to guide the business through the toughest of times. We're not chasing market share on either side of the border and continue to have a focus on working in, with the right customers in the right basins for the right returns. As in Canada, our customers in the U.S. generally have worked with us to ensure we keep up with the current cost of good increases so that we can manage margins in real time. Today, we have a market share of approximately 17.5% in the USA with 96 jobs underway, including an, an industry-leading 27% market share in the Permian. Next up is JCAM Catalyst, our U.S. production chemical business. This division also had another great quarter as it continues to profitably gain market share, despite a very competitive environment. The Permian region continues to backstop the business, however, we had additional strong contributions from the rest of Texas as well as the Rockies, which obviously includes the Bakken. Although we have faced significant supply chain challenges in this division as well, we are proud to have the advantage of being the basic manufacturer of a lot of our products, so we were able to avoid disruptions that less capable companies could not avoid. Overall, we are very confident in our JCAM Catalyst business and look forward to more of the same consistent growth in revenue and earnings. I will finish with a quick update on our recent forays into international markets. The drilling rig in Oman has completed its first of two wells. The drill was successful and the learnings by CES were significant. Once the customer evaluates the success of the current well, a further tender for more drills may be initiated. But this is a long fairway and we are in very early stages. In Nigeria, our partner company Pearl has now taken delivery of the first three containers of production chemical concentrate that we have shipped to them. As we speak, they are preparing another order for three more containers, likely to be shipped in Q1. As with the Oman business, this is a growth opportunity in the very early stages of a long runway to making a meaningful contribution. In conclusion, I want to personally thank each and every one of our 1,700 employees for their commitment to the business, culture, and success of CES. As well, I want to, of course, thank all of our customers for their commitment to CES in good times and bad. With that, I will turn the call over to Tony for the financial update. Thanks, Ken. CS's third quarter demonstrated a continuation of strong financial momentum through 2021 and reaching distance of pre-COVID levels. Key financial metrics improved across divisions, including revenues, 
margins, and surplus free cash flow generation, underpinned by a focus on strategic investments in working capital and preservation of strong balance sheet and liquidity metrics. CS realized improvements throughout its business lines amid strengthening industry conditions as it was able to leverage its established infrastructure, strong industry positioning, committed employees, and strategic investments in key raw materials. The continued positive momentum demonstrated in the quarter has been supported by improvements in rig activity, higher production volumes, pricing increases, and strategic procurement initiatives that are expected to continue through the balance of the year and into 2022. As industry activity levels continue to improve, CS remained disciplined on capital expenditures during the quarter, retaining substantial liquidity, while also making strategic use of its balance sheet to finance key surplus raw material purchases in order to meet the increasing needs of existing and new customers, manage product cost inflation, and mitigate the effects of global supply chain constraints. We exited the quarter with a net draw on our senior facility of 51 million versus a net cash position of 12 million on June 30th. The increase was primarily driven by a working capital build associated with strong increase in sequential quarterly revenue combined with strategic surplus raw material purchases driven by unique global supply chain environment. In addition, CS repurchased approximately 863,000 common shares for $1.4 million or $1.66 per share under our NCIB program. CS has continued to realize strong demand and also invest in our surplus inventory since the end of the quarter and our current net draw on our senior facility is approximately 81 million. CS's Q3 revenue of 314 million represents an increase of 89% from Q3 2020 and a sequential increase of 24% from Q2. Revenue generated in the US was 197 million or 63% of total revenue for the company. I would note that AES continues to effectively operate on the right jobs and with the right customers as we continue to approach pre-COVID levels and continue to realize operational and financial torque in that business. Similarly, JCAM Catalyst, our US production chemicals business, which helped carry the business through the lows of 2020, has continued its trajectory and is getting very close to pre-pandemic levels through increased volumes, market share, and improved pricing. Revenue generated in Canada was 117 million in the quarter versus 52 million a year ago and 78 million in Q2. Thanks in part to the seasonal increase in activity in the Canadian drilling fluids business. Canadian revenues benefited from increased drilling and completions activity coupled with higher production volumes and frac-related chemical sales as revenue levels in production chemicals surpassed pre-COVID levels and drilling fluids continued its steady march upward. CS achieved adjusted EBITDAC of 42 million in Q3, which is more than double the 18 million generated in Q3 2020 and represents a substantial sequential increase of 10 million or 31% from from the 32 million generated in Q2. Adjusted EBITDA margin in the quarter was 13.4%, representing a significant improvement from the 11% recorded a year ago, 
and a sequential improvement from 12.6% in Q2 as the company benefited from stronger competitive positioning, pricing increases, and increased drilling and production levels. I would also note that we are closely watching product costs and their potential impacts on gross margins. Our procurement team has been industry leading in terms of strategic inventory purchases during the last year, and our sales and marketing teams have been working very closely and respectfully, as Ken mentioned, with customers on pricing increases. However, we do anticipate a potential lag period as pricing catches up to increased product costs. At CES, our main financial priority continues to be surplus free cash flow generation. I am very proud to report that during Q3, our funds from operations was $35 million, representing a substantial increase over 23 million in Q2, and actually above the 32 million generated in Q1 of 2020, which was prior to the COVID-related downturn. CS has continued to maintain a prudent approach to capital spending through the quarter. Net CapEx spend for the quarter was 9.8 million, representing approximately 3% of revenue. We will continue to adjust plans as required to support existing business and growth throughout our divisions. For 2021, we expect cash CapEx to be approximately 30 million, of which 20 million is estimated as maintenance and 10 million as growth. Our balance sheet continues to benefit from the attractive structuring and maturity schedules of our credit facility and senior notes. We ended Q3 with 372 million in total debt net of cash, comprised primarily of 288 million in senior notes, which mature in October of 2024, and a net draw of 51 million on our senior facility. During the quarter, we successfully completed an amendment and a two-year extension of the senior facility, which addressed the needs of the company's expanding U.S. business by shifting U.S. dollar 20 million of availability to the U.S. while preserving total facility size at a Canadian dollar equivalent of $235 million, providing ample liquidity versus current draw levels. As Ken mentioned, we are increasingly optimistic about the industry outlook and CS's ability to continue its strong financial performance. This combination is key to informing our capital allocation decisions, which we revisit as a team on a quarterly basis. In terms of capital allocation considerations, we continue to prioritize capital allocation towards supporting existing and new business through investments in working capital and modest CapEx projects that deliver IRRs above our internal hurdle rates. We remain very comfortable with our current dividend, which represents a yield of approximately 3% at our current share price and is supported by a very prudent payout ratio in the mid-teens. We will continue to buy back at least enough shares to offset equity compensation-related dilution. Year to date, we have repurchased 7.7 million shares, representing 3% of outstanding shares, which is approximately double our stock-based compensation-related dilution for the year. As we are becoming more optimistic and comfortable with our outlook and free cash flow generation, we will revisit becoming more active in our NCIB program, especially at current valuation levels implied by our stock price. We will also continue to use remaining surplus free cash flow 
to reduce leverage, to further strengthen our balance sheet, opportunistically purchase our bonds, and prepare to refinance our 2024 bond at an appropriate size over the next couple of years. Throughout the 2020 downturn and into the recovery period of the last several quarters, CS has consistently demonstrated its CapEx light and asset light decentralized business model, enabling generation of significant surplus free cash flow. As our customers increasingly regulate their business models to maintain spending within cash flows, we believe that CS will be able to leverage its established infrastructure, business model, and nimble customer-oriented culture to continue its track record of strong financial performance. At this time, I'd like to turn the call back to Ken for comments on our outlook. Thank you, Tony. Our outlook for the remainder of 2021 and into 2022 remains optimistic, as Tony pointed out. And economic, as economic activity has resumed from the lows of the pandemic, we are benefiting from a strong and significant increase in activity by our customers throughout North America amid a constructive supply-demand balance. Our customers are back to pre-COVID production levels in some of our most attractive basins, and rig activity continues to trend upward. The market remains competitive, but our business and employees remain hardworking, nimble, and well-positioned in the market. We are very bullish on forecasted activity in our industry for the midterm, and I love our chances to grow revenues, cash flow, earnings within each of the divisions. The future at CES is bright, and I'm humbled to have this opportunity to lead our great team for many years to come. Thank you for your time. I will now pass the call over to the operator for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. The first question comes from Aaron McNeil with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. I'm hoping you can give us a bit more of a detailed look at the U.S. production chemicals business. I know you're, you're not going to get into specifics on, on revenues and stuff, but you mentioned the vertical integration or, as you say, being a basic manufacturer. At least relative to my numbers, it seemed like that's where some of the revenue strength occurred this quarter. So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, has there been market share gains in the segment? Are you seeing other positive tailwinds that you could maybe address a bit more specifically? Yeah, uh, yeah, fair question, Aaron. As you saw, we, uh, we did demonstrate solid growth in the U.S. And when you look at the available metrics, uh, rig counts have been improving, but uh, we're still marching up to towards uh, pre-COVID levels. So we did see significant strength in U.S. production chemicals. Uh, as Ken mentioned, uh, we were able to, under uh, Vern Disney's leadership, gain market share in uh, production chemicals in the U.S. And uh, as Ken also mentioned, when you look at, uh, at production levels versus pre-COVID, uh, although U.S. production in general is down from the 12.7 or so uh, pre-COVID to about 11.5 currently. If you look at our most important market and our most significant market in the U.S., the Permian, 
volumes, production volumes are actually back to pre-COVID levels. So that gives you an indicator of increase in activity. And uh, on top of that, Vern and his team have been able to source the required chemistry that our customers were looking for. And uh, we're also able to uh, pass along pricing increases. And you'll also see, uh, and some people mentioned it over the last while in our, in our disclosure, we talked about some bulk chemical sales that, uh, that that business unit was able to put on at very uh, at, uh, at reasonable margins as well. So it's really a confluence of the industry coming back in some of the most important basins that we operate in and the team being able to outperform its competitors to win and gain market share and uh, pass on pricing. And they're still in the process of that. Understood. Maybe, Tony, a quick one for you on the balance sheet. You know, obviously, the working capital grew quite a bit this quarter. Do you expect CES to sort of grow into the current working capital, or do you actually see like maybe an unwind of the inventory over the next couple quarters as this, you know, supply chain challenges ease? Yeah, look, everybody's been able to observe our, our business model. What happens when revenue goes down uh, is we harvest. As Ken mentioned, we're carrying surplus inventory, especially in the Canadian drilling fluids business. So to answer specifically, we expect to grow into that working capital. And given the, uh, given the expectations that you heard in the outlook sum uh, summary, we expect revenue to grow next year. And uh, as we do that, we expect to grow into that working capital level that's elevated at this point. And as that happens, you'll see very significant free cash flow generation. Understood. And Ken, maybe one for you. You're new to us, but not all that new to the company or the industry. So I guess, you know, aside from the obvious stuff around ENP capital discipline, can you maybe just give us your sense or perspective on what you're seeing in terms of the outlook, how, you know, this cycle is shaping up from prior cycles and I mean, you sort of addressed it in your prepared remarks, but if we can expect anything different from you uh, versus your, your predecessor as you kind of take the helm of the company. Yeah, Aaron, um, it's setting up to be an aggressive build and the biggest challenges we keep hammering on and I think everybody's hammering on is supply chain. Um, so we've had to get really aggressive with putting inventory on the ground more so than we have in the past. And that's led to uh, the balance sheet taking some some flack and picking up some some dollars. Um, but we do see it balancing. And the main reason for it was uh, Q1 in Canada, really. I mean, we, we can't, Canada buys about half our inventory from China and India. India is basically shut down. Shipping from China has been uh, massively affected. Industries being uh, regulated there to only work a few days a week. Um, the, the Beijing Olympics are coming, so they're trying to control air quality. Uh, Jap or Chinese New Year's is coming. So there's just been a lot of headwinds that way, combined with um, manpower in Canada and the U.S., uh, but I would say more so in Canada. Um, we've really struggled to find people. Uh, we're competing with not only our competitors, but even the rig companies, and um, it's made, made things tough. People have left the industry, and it's hard to get them to commit to coming back. Having said that, we're we're in pretty good shape and and we're excited about what's in front of us. I think it's going to be a, a busy uh, first half of the year for sure, and probably a busy couple of years. 
and then just anything you you bring to the table that's different from your predecessor. I know you talked about the you know the the business units um, running independently, but anything you want to highlight there? Well, I mean, Tom and I worked together for for uh, about twenty five years, Ollie, and I believe. So we see the world largely the same. And, you know, to be totally honest, when we were over the last bunch of years as we've been working together, we, we visited all the time and came to a lot of the same decisions at the same time. So I, I'm not sure that there will be any massive changes. I, I My hope is to emulate him uh, in on the leadership side and, you know, maybe be a little more open to looking at M&A if something good comes along. But but that's that's really it. Other than that, I think steady is the course for now and we'll see how that evolves over the next six months. Understood. Thanks uh, for your time. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Aaron. The next question comes from Tim Moncello with ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys, and, and welcome, Ken. Um, congrats on getting that first prepared uh, remarks section out of the way. Um, Thank you. I, I just wanted to talk I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what you're seeing on the supply chain front. Like, I don't know if you can get into specifics, but are there, you know, specific or, you know, certain regions or business lines that are, that are most impacted? It sounds like the Canadian drilling fluid space perhaps is, is the most. Do you think you're ahead of that? And are you seeing anything change on the margin? Um, are supply chains getting tighter or looser? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, I mean, I think it's, the, on the Canadian side, um, it's definitely the drilling fluid space that we've had to be, it's because it's more seasonal. We, we have this big ramp up into Q1 every year. Um, usually we can buy going into it. This year we had to pre-plan for it because we're so concerned about not being able to get stuff in the coming months. As far as pricing goes, I mean, we're working on that all the time. Our, I'm visiting with the customers I have. Our salespeople are visiting with their customers. Um, we're advertising on LinkedIn about about supply chain crisis. We're doing everything we can. I mean, we don't really have to to blast it from the from the the rooftops because I mean everybody in their everyday life is is dealing with the same problem. The inflation is through the roof and it's, um, selection is way down because it's hard to get stuff. So it's it's a unique year in that regard. I don't remember ever going through anything like this in the last whatever it's been 35 years in in this industry. Um, and we're trying to make that case. And I you know I'd say by and large we're getting buy-in from from more customers than we're not, but definitely not getting buy-in from everybody. And it's a challenge and it's kind of the business I've been living and breathing for the last 35 years. It's every day, it's a new fight and a, and a new uh, opportunity to, to work with clients to come to something that works for both of us. So I guess to summarize, we're, we're working on it every day and we're trying to get margins up as much as we can in line with what we're paying or what we're seeing in increased costs. Okay, as you go into a sort of tightening market, I guess especially in Canada, and you've got this sort of egg of inventory where, you know, perhaps some of your competitors don't, are you being able to translate that into, you know, better market share or new new customer relationships? 
Well, it's definitely a topic of conversation every time we go into a customer's office. I mean, supply chain, you know, if we're doing 100% of the work for them, then we're not, we're not pitching this. But if, if it's a company we're not working with or we're doing a small percentage for, supply chain diversification is probably key for everybody through this. Um, and, and on our side, we're hoping that, yeah, in Q1, this is going to be a big advantage. We, we see shortages. I mean, I'm not going to telegraph where we see them, but we believe there's going to be shortages of key products through Q1 in Canada. And we believe we positioned ourselves to not experience that. As you go forward, and I know it's a very dynamic situation, but can you provide some insight into how the companies? I guess monitoring the supply chain issues and and as things perhaps loosen through 2022, how do you make sure that you're not long high higher cost inventory? Uh, we're doing that just by working uh, with customers and getting accurate forecasts with them. I mean, we we subscribe to some publications on supply chain, and then we have a supply chain that's living it and breathing it in real time. And you know, I I'm constantly getting forwarded emails of communications between our supply chain team and our suppliers where the suppliers are giving us intel on what's happening in the space and what our competitors are doing. So I think we're pretty in tune with it. Um, we don't foresee a massive shift in any direction until mid 2022 at the earliest. Um, and we'll be prepared for that. We're right now we're just trying to buy about six months out and, and stay on that. And if in Q1, you know, as we get into a, a seasonally softer season, um, we'll have inventory levels coming down anyways, and we'll make decisions at that time about what to do with the second half of 2022. Okay. Um, and then last one for me. Um, you know, Ken, you've done a good job, at least you've been credited for a lot of the, the good work that's been done in Canada in turning around the, the margin profile, especially in the pure chem business. Um, you know, overseeing the whole company, is there any lessons there that you learned that you think you know, could be applied elsewhere in the business, and um, and if so, how, how do you see that progressing? Well, I think we're doing. I mean, I, I'm, we're honestly we're very satisfied with the the margins that we're getting in the U.S. I think they're fair to the operator and fair to the to us as the service company. So, and and once again, to be honest and to share credit, um, you know, some of the things I learned in working with the Canadian divisions, I picked up from the U.S. divisions. So. You know, I'm not sure there's a lot of work to do there. As the market gets strong, if there's shortages uh, in people or if our customer base gets super busy and we can drive more efficiency, then we'll start to see some margin improvement there. But we're, we're already heading in the right direction, and, and I think everybody's doing a great job in the business now. Hey, great. Really nice prank, guys. I'll turn it back. Thank you. The next question comes from Keith Mackey with RBC. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. Just maybe to start out on the uh, the international initiatives. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you know things things have progressed uh, well there. Uh, do you foresee uh, you know the current uh, product projects you're working on, you know, being the beginning of a of a snowball in the international? Uh, you know, based on how they've gone and 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 the results and lessons that you've learned, or or is this still a uh, an entry point that will take you know additional time to uh, to really flesh out? I think it's the second part with a mix of the first part. Um, this is going to take time to pay, play out, um, but we it 
we do have a lot of optimism around our chances for success in that market and growth into that market. I've personally been spending quite a bit of time on this over the past three, four years. We've looked at a bunch of stuff, including the QMAX um, breakup when they were trying to sell off their Kuwait business. I mean, we've been quietly uh, monitoring that market for the last, call it five years. And so it, it will be something that I will put emphasis on going forward and trying to grow it. Um, but it is contingent on, you know, first of all, how this project goes that we're on now. And second of all, what we can directly pick up off that project, because we have to get uh, not only a foothold in the in the Middle East, but also um, kind of a reputation there so that other companies will trust us. And we are working on some other stuff in real time right now that could turn into something, but just nothing to announce at this time. Got it. Thanks for that. And, and maybe just as a follow-on then, you mentioned you might be a little bit more open to M&A than, than in the past. Are there any obvious gaps that you think the business has, whether it be more of the international type stuff or anything within North America to really um, drive the next leg of the business? No, I think we have no no holes at all. I, I'm I'm just talking in an optim, opportunistic sort of way. I mean, we we did something uh, a year or a year and a half ago, once again during that QMAX breakup, where we were able to buy some not some business off them, but just some product line off them, um, because we took the time and and threw kind of a stink bid at it and won. I, I would say that if there's opportunities that look so good we couldn't pass up on them, we'll take a look at them. But as of Today, no, there's absolutely nothing on the table. Got it. Thanks very much. That's it for me. The next question comes from Andrew Bradford with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, guys, and, uh, and, and welcome, Ken. Um, Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. In your in your comments, you mentioned, you know, you talked about some market share gain. Um, I'm speaking about U.S. production can sales. And um, I'm just curious, so is this, would you characterize this gain as sort of being through your involvement on, you know, newly constructed wells that are coming on first production? Or is this like you're grabbing share or uh, unshut, a previously shut in legacy producing wells? I think it's uh, it's a combination with a, a big uh, emphasis on on the former on the first category. Uh, as as we've said over the over the calls over the past few years, the volumes of production chemicals sold during uh, the that uh, initial production phase is obviously high. Uh, but really, it's been it's been the JCAM Catalyst team doing more with existing customers and winning some new customers and gaining market share that way. Um, and, uh, and if you look at, if you look at the trends, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, high uh, production volumes, getting back to pre COVID levels, especially in the Permian where uh, JCAM and catalyst, which we acquired it back in 2016 had a very st uh, strong presence in, that business has continued to invest. Um, added a new lab last year uh, because we were committed to it. Has added some more real estate to support new business, and uh, it's paying dividends by winning more work from existing customers and winning new customers on uh, on the new types of productions, not 
the smaller, uh, lower volume producing wells that you were referring to. Great, thank you for that. And as well, when it comes to the drilling fluids, um, the U.S. drilling fluids business as well, you, you know, and as we think about market share outlook here, I, I, you know, I appreciate you really focused on customers that work maybe in more of a partnership with you. Um, but do you expect this sort of formula that that you foment with these customers? Do you expect this formula could facilitate market share gains in the near term, or, or do you think? If you were sitting on our side here, that we should just look at 17.5% as sort of your baseline for the uh, for the next few quarters. Well, I think, you know, the model we have um, doesn't eliminate the opportunity for market share gains. Although, you know, generally speaking, half the rigs that are working in the U.S. are working in the Permian Basin. We've got a strong market share there. Um, and then... The other half are working everywhere else where we don't have that great of a market share. So every time you um, pick up rigs and they're spread evenly through the through those two sort of regions, call them, um, it dilutes our market share, even though we're still doing equally as strong in the Permian where we want to be. And when I talk about where we want to be, it's because it's more technical work and it's because we have infrastructure there. We've made an investment in that space um, and it's put us right in the middle of the play with the best equipment and the, the best people, which gives us a big advantage, uh, not only to our good customers, but also to pick up other customers. Uh, the problem is, you know, to invest that kind of CapEx into a play, there has to be returns there. So there has to be significant activity. There has to be technical enough work that we can make a difference and, and beat out our competitors. Um, and so far, you know, we, there's a few places where we're doing that in the U.S., you know, the Northeast being another one where we have have it and the Eagleford, um, but you know, as far as places like the Bakken, um, the wells are pretty simple. The margins have been beat down there. We've we've tried to play in that space before. We we don't currently have infrastructure there, so when we go in there, we're working out of a third-party warehouse, and we're not competitive on price. So, you know, I guess the answer is that as long as this uh, market share growth continues uh, in the Permian, we'll continue to capture around a third of that. Uh, a quarter to a third, call it. But um, when rigs get picked up in some other places, like what happens in Canada, it, it may dilute the, the market share. We'll just have to see how it comes back. No, no that's, a, that's a great and complete answer. Thank you very much. Uh, my next two are fairly disjointed here and fairly quick. So, uh, you, you know, so labor constraints, you described this as well. And this usually works pretty well oil field services com companies when it comes to pricing, at least in other areas of the oil pad. You're, you know, you're more of a product oriented combined with a service provider. So it's not clear to me how that works. Do you think labor constraints can work? They're, they're certainly hard to deal with, but do you think they could ultimately work in your favor margin-wise? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did, for sure. We'll see how Q1 goes. Um, you know, I think the problem with the labor constraints isn't just directly as it as it affects us. It's it's with how it affects all the other services, like the the major ones, the drilling rigs. Um, you know, we've had we've had rigs shut down for weeks at a time, even when they were staffed um, because of COVID outbreaks. So, you know, between the COVID risk on labor and um, just the lack of being able to find people, it's it, that causes us a bigger problem than anything because I think there's demand and you know listening to 
to my friends on the drilling side. They, there's demand probably to run 250 rigs this year, but I don't think they're going to be able to find the people for it in Q1. So, you know, down the road, once everything gets adequately staffed and we can get enough rigs going, that there is, uh, it starts to affect service company ability to get hands. Um, then maybe we have room to move on margin. But it's the problem with the, the personnel piece is we charge the men out on a day rate basis combined with the chemical. So it's easily comparable. So as long as our competitors are willing to not move that number, um, it's it's a flat, easy number that companies like to spreadsheet. It's really hard to move that number up until everyone does. Okay, that's great. Thank you. And the second uh, question was, uh, there's just a small item here um, of, you know, growth capital in the quarter. Uh, it, you know, it's a small number, but it still is larger than any of the numbers we've seen for a while, maybe around 5 million. So I, I think this was for a site just outside of Edmonton, but I wonder if you could just sort of add some color around that. Yeah, for sure. So it's something that uh, that we uh, we discussed midway through the year, and it was spearheaded by uh, the Canadian group. We, uh, we made a decision to spend... Um, during this year, it'll be somewhere between three and four million dollars, and a little bit more in, in uh, the uh, the new year, to expand our facility uh, in NISCU, and that gives us increased capabilities from a logistics, storage, and uh, manufacturing perspective to supply uh, some of uh, the very specific key uh, raw raw materials and, and sorry chemistry that is in high demand. So it's uh, it was a very targeted investment. Um, the IRR as presented and uh, and discussed is well, well above our 15 to 20% internal hurdle rate. And uh, that's what it was for, Andrew. What, what we hope to gain with that, Andrew, to put a little bit more color on it even, is, is days of safety stock. Our throughput um, as productions come back on in Canada um, has has gone up significantly, and our days of safety stock had dropped significantly. So it's to expand the amount of days that we have on the ground ready to go. Um, that's great, guys. Thank you very much for taking my uh, questions. Thanks, Andrew. The next question comes from Cole Pereira with Stiefel. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, good morning, guys, and uh, congrats on the quarter. So, obviously, the uh, business continues to improve, but there's some cost pressures. Can you just add some additional colors on how we should be thinking about gross margins on a percentage basis over the next couple quarters? I mean, it sounds like they might compress near term, but, I mean, obviously, there should be an inflection point as well. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start with that, Cole. Fair question. So uh, really, obviously, we're not going to provide specific numbers, but I would say directionally, we're talking the same, uh, the same trends as, uh, as some of our competitors, specifically in the U.S., have talked about. Um, we, are, we have been seeing significant uh, increases in, in the costs of our inputs, uh, we've been uh, very smart and aggressive by trying to get in front of as much of that as possible. But uh, we are getting into the times now where 
the uh, the COGS costs that we're realizing when we generate that revenue are creeping up versus a quarter or two ago. However, we are increasing pricing as well. And uh, as I mentioned, there's a lag period. So directionally, I think uh, we're not getting back to the uh, the higher levels that you saw uh, the last couple of quarters. I think what you're seeing right now is indicative, similar to what our peers are saying for at least the next couple of quarters. And uh, I'd like to be pleasantly surprised, but that's what we're preparing for. Having said that, that's our objective is to make Tony very, very surprised. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, just wanted to come back uh, to your comments, Tony, on the U.S. production chemicals market share gains. I mean, sounds like you're getting some new customers and, you know, winning some more work with existing ones. I mean, what what are really the what's really the drivers of that? Is it really come down to performance or can you just be a bit more agile than some of your larger peers? It's, uh, it's, it's both. Um, that business, the, the, that business first with JCAM and then with Catalyst was, uh, was the catalyst, no pun intended, to the vertical uh, diversification that we did not have before Tom and Ken and the team made the expansion into the U.S. by acquiring JCAM. And then uh, when we acquired Catalyst and, and Vern and the team came on board and, uh, and Vern took on leadership of that overall business, um, they continued to do what they did, which is beat out some of the bigger competitors with customers that maybe at first were a little bit smaller but grew. Uh, they were results-oriented. They were looking for the products, chemistry, vertical integration that, uh, that JCAM Catalyst could de deliver. And then uh, our teams just continue to service the heck out of those customers uh, better than our competitors. And we have the infrastructure. We've made the investments. We continue to support that business with, uh, with capital uh, for CapEx, like the lab, uh, like some of the, uh, the additional real estate, uh, as well as working capital requirements. So we talked a lot about uh, procurement, but uh, just step back and, and appreciate the fact that we have this North American footprint allowing the U.S. and Canada to help each other out with new supply, supply chain sources and to be able to manufacture molecules from, uh, from the raw chemistry uh, level. So it's really all of those things and a continuation of focus on the customer supported by the, uh, the, uh, the infrastructure that we have. Okay, great, uh, that's helpful, thanks. And uh, maybe coming back to supply chains quickly. So, I mean, obviously this remains an evolving issue, but fair to say, based on your comments, that you're fairly comfortable that, you know, in, in Canada and in Q1, you don't think there'll really be any business interruptions as a result of supply chains. And can you clarify as well, is, is this, uh, is this uh, both uh, business segments? Uh, yeah, it's both business segments, and that's correct. Um, we have enough inventory on the ground now to get us through Q1, and what we don't have on the ground, we have take-or-pay um, deals on, so we have guaranteed supply when, as we need it because some of the stuff is just too cumbersome to store. Um, but, you know, having said that, you never know what's coming next, but right now, unless, I don't know, 
some other catastrophe hits us, I think we're in good shape on both sides of the business. I mean, we're a little closer to the sun on the production chemical side on a, on, on one particular product line, like everybody in the industry is right now. Um, but we have not dropped the ball yet. And we, I think, are one of the only ones who have not. And we uh, think we're going to get through that one as well. Okay, great, Ted. That's all for me, thanks. I'll turn it back. The next question comes from Joseph Schachter with Schachter Energy Research. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, Ken, congratulations on uh, becoming CEO and, uh, and your first uh, analyst uh, and uh, institutional conference call. Um, please wish uh, Tom much uh, success in his retirement, and it was a pleasure working with him in the past and uh, looking forward to working with you and Anthony in the future. I have three areas that I'd like to cover. Uh, one of them <coughs> would be the supply chain issues. You mentioned earlier about procurement initials for key raw materials. Uh, you also mentioned India and uh, China and because of the smog and things slowing down there. Are there any uh, specific areas where you have like you know like um, uh, like rare earths and other things which um, you need to maybe have longer lead times than six months of inventory, or do you see when China gets back um, after the Olympics that that process of getting the materials you may need um, or India uh, not going to be impacted? And, and uh, how do you discuss all of the timeline issues uh, related to items you're bringing in from Asia? Um, well, great question. We 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 don't have any um, rare earth mineral type stuff that is hard that hard to get a hold of. We do believe that as China um, unclogs and gets going, and U.S. ports unclog and get going, we'll be able to get product. I also want to clarify that you know we've been buying a lot of product from China uh, because the quality has been excellent and the shipping times have been consistent and the pricing has been better than what we could do in the U.S. in some cases. In some cases, we can only get it there, but in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's strictly a, a decision to buy from there because we can get things cheaper. Um, so as this is, has, has unwound, it's put us in a situation of having to you know, work with our U.S. counterparts to, and, and delve into their supply chain from Canada because Canada was buying more internationally and try and get local supply. Um, the problem is we had to move really quickly and start sending some order to those guys because as it got busier, nobody was taking on new clients. So we think we've done a good enough job with that. We've reverted to, you know, on the on the barite front in Canada, we we mined that out of India for the last bunch of years. Um, we're no longer doing that. We've switched to a mine in Canada, and we're getting some from our own uh, superior weighting down in Texas uh, in Corpus Christi, because those two options used to be uneconomic, but. Currently, with the supply and demand metrics in place, combined with the difficulty in getting shipping on time, uh, they are now our best choices. Okay, good. Thank you on that. Uh, second one, um, we saw from um, PSAC that uh, the rig count they're looking for next year, 5,400, up from 4,650, a 16% increase. Um, do you see uh, those kinds from the uh, numbers being um, log logical given your customer conversations about how much increased activity they see and that and how much more business that's going to generate for you? Yeah, I think, you know, in Canada over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we've had a pretty consistent market share. So if the rig uh, days goes up, we'll participate that. 
in, in that to the same level we always participate. As far as whether it's possible or not, I mean, I think where you can get the win on the contractor and operator side will be in Q2, and that's that'll be the decider. I mean, there's been times when we've run, you know, back in the good old days, we've run 100 rigs through Q2. Well, um, and that's CES, not the industry. So it, but the last bunch of years here, it's pretty slow in Q2, not because it has to be, just because it's a little bit more expensive to drill during that time. But if operators really decide they want to get busy, you know, I think they can they can average 220 rigs probably through Q1, and you know they can probably average at least half of that through Q2 if they want to, which is not what I think what most analysts are predicting right now. And are, is your business uh, pickup happening more on the private companies, where, which don't really have the market uh, pressures for shareholder returns? Um, and are you seeing a, a more of a pickup on the private company activity uh, in both sides of the border versus the public companies? Um, you know, on the Canadian side, I think it's the bigger companies. Um, I think just with this, with with capital where it is, and and WTI where it is. You know, 65 or 75 percent of free cash flow for these big oil companies is is growing. It's becoming a bigger number. So we're seeing the growth in Canada. I would say it's more on the public company bigger guys, and in the U.S. it's probably more on the independents and the little guys. But it's happening in both on both sides of the border. And then last one for me, uh, treatment points. You show the U.S. down 7 percent, Canada up 16 percent. Were you giving away low margin business in the states where you didn't see the um, the, the sufficient margins and uh, weren't willing to to go down to levels that were unprofitable. And do you see those treatment points going up as activity picks up? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll start with that one, Joseph. Uh, as we mentioned in the narrative before those graphs, uh, treatment points used to be uh, a higher used to provide a higher correlation to actual revenues generated by those production chemicals businesses in both countries, Canada and the U.S. What's happened that's that's actually benefited us from a uh, a profitability perspective is as we've as we've evolved to uh, to treating higher volume uh, producing wells and uh, and uh, and delivering chemistry to more and more uh, multi well pads. Number one, the economics are better, but number two, especially if we have continuous treatment. The uh, the actual volume that we're providing for every touch point or treatment point is higher. So that graph unfortunately masks the true volume uh, trends that we're realizing, and uh, that has to be the case because we've seen increased volumes and frankly revenue. Uh, that said, so that's the biggest part, and, and we're thinking about other information that's publicly available to provide. Uh, more uh, uh, a better picture of, uh, of the driving factors of the production chemistry business, and the other thing, as we mentioned, I think in both the press release and the MDNA, uh, we did benefit from uh, some significant uh, bulk chemical sales, especially in the U.S. And uh, unlike previous cycles, that uh, obviously that margin is a little bit lower, maybe at the gross margin level, uh, but the team has been very smart about that business because. It uh, doesn't require significant increases in SG&A or, more importantly, CapEx. So that's why you continue to see strong EBITDA margins and strong free cash flow generation uh, regardless. So long-winded way of saying uh, uh, the treatment point metric isn't perfect. It's the best we have right now. But over the last couple of years, we have seen 
um, a bit of a bifurcation between the true drivers uh, and uh, and that metric. Super. Thanks very much for uh, taking my questions, and Ken, welcome aboard, and look forward to the next quarter. And congratulations on a great quarter. Thank you, Joseph. Once again, if you have a question, please press star and one. The next question comes from Michael Robertson with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, uh, Ken and Tony. Uh, congrats on the quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, just just a couple uh, quick follow-ups here. Um, uh, maybe start with one for Tony. Um, I believe you mentioned uh, that the draw on the credit facility is currently around $80 million. Um, you touched on this a bit earlier, but based on your your current inventory levels and expectations to you know move move product and convert that to cash flow, how do you see that trending into 2022 while you know also anticipating incremental improvements in activity levels? Um, you know, maybe asking another way, where would you expect the sort of peaks and, and valleys to to sort of shake out? Yeah, uh, so number one, we're very comfortable with. Uh, at uh, or around this level, again, our our available uh, line is $235 million Canadian equivalent, so tons of room. As I said earlier, uh, I, I do expect that to go up uh, through the quarter as uh, as we catch up on collections for the, uh, the increased revenue that we've seen sequentially, and we're going to continue to see that in Q4 and Q1, especially in the Canadian business that's a bit more seasonal. And uh, then if it is true that we are getting comfortable with our inventory levels in particular, and we grow into that working capital, uh, you'll see that starting to come down next year. Probably not significantly at the beginning of the year, but mid uh, probably and towards second, third quarter for sure, you'll see a deleveraging. And again, uh, it's a good problem to have because it does afford us options that uh, that we're taking very very seriously uh, in terms of capital allocation, as I mentioned. Got it. Got it. That's uh, really helpful, uh, color Tony. Appreciate that. Um, and then just just a quick one uh, related to the international. Um, from from what you're seeing, does it look like the shipping issues have it all eased in terms of uh, getting sea cans from Houston to Nigeria? Um, I was just wondering how much of that was, you know, hurricane related versus how congested the supply chain is in general right now. Well, I think that we've only done one shipment of three containers to Nigeria and it went pretty quickly. I mean, hauling away from the U.S. is better than hauling to the U.S. Um, as far as, in, you know, international shipping, the, the stuff coming out of China, you know, the prices are starting to come off a little bit on getting containers, but but getting containers onto ships is still a huge problem. You're, you're competing to get on. And so it, the price is coming down a bit, but even when you agree on a ridiculous price, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting on a boat anytime soon. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's helpful. I uh, appreciate you taking my questions. Congrats on the quarter. I'll turn it back. Thanks, Michael. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Ken Zinger for any closing remarks. Thank you. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap up the call by saying thank you to our customers and our employees for helping us produce another great quarter. We're pleased to be in a strong financial position and returning cash to shareholders coming out of COVID. 
We look forward to speaking with you during your, our Q4 and year-end update in March. Thank you, everybody. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.